Hi, my name is Harris. I'm one of your podcast hosts. I'm also a lawyer at Treadstone Law. For most Canadians buying, selling, or refinancing real estate, a lawyer is the last thing on their mind. That's unfortunate because lawyers play a vital role in the process. But what choices do Canadians have? Lawyers can be very expensive. Well, Treadstone Law offers resources to Canadians so they have access to the information they need. Whether you sign up for a live workshop or a mailing list, we cover topics to help you make informed decisions and avoid costly mistakes. It's advice you can start using today, and best of all, it's free. Visit treadstonelaw.ca forward slash MAS offer or click the link below to get access right now. If you're looking to retain Treadstone Law, it's never been easier. Our entire process is online. From completing the retainer agreement to your signing appointment, everything is done from the comfort of your own home. We're your digital lawyers. The best part of it is that you don't pay anything when you're retaining our firm. Visit treadstonelaw.ca forward slash MAS offer or click on the link below to retain us right now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Hustle and Grit. Today, back on our podcast is Dahlia Borsum. She is the president and principal broker at Streetwise Mortgages, a successful mortgage brokerage on a successful mortgage brokerage in Ontario. Dahlia is here to talk about her journey as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the podcast, Dahlia. Thank you, Harris. Well, I mean, we've had a, an amazing conversation last time, and for those listeners who haven't checked that out, I'd advise you check it out because I think we had some insightful stuff on how to build portfolios and and real estate investments but today I wanted I brought you back on just because I really enjoyed talking to you last time and it's it's hard to find at least in my opinion um, strong entrepreneurs and I, I see how you conduct your business and I, I felt like it's something that my listeners could really uh, take advantage of and I wanted to cut, pick your brain on your journey um, starting a business, because I know for uh, a decent amount of time, you've worked for a bulge bracket bank, and then you decided, <laughs> I, I don't want the job, <laughs> I'm going to go and voluntarily start my own business. So yeah. could you kind of walk our listeners through um, uh, what got you to first basically get, join the industry and then what got you to walk away from working at a bank, a good, comfortable job, arguably, um, and starting your own thing? Yes, sure. So um, I worked for the banks for about 15 years and I started in technology and then over time I shifted focus completely to business and investing. And my aspiration over time was to climb the corporate ladder and to get to a senior level in the bank and that's why i did my mba and i was on my path to get there but i got to a point where i felt towards the end um that i have better i would have better options you know if i set up my own business to basically control my time and destiny because i had two kids i at the time I left, I was pregnant and I had a four years old at home. Mm. And I felt that as a mother, I had always to make a decision between working the long hours or being at work physically and missing out on certain things for 
my young four-year-old and even if he was homesick, I didn't have that much flexibility. So it was a combination of I'd like to be around the kids more mm -hmm. uh, and have more control over my time and do something for myself, leveraging the experience that I've built. I get to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't get up in the morning. <laughs> I couldn't get up in the morning. It was yeah. hard to get up in the morning. And I'm not saying there is something wrong with a corporate job, but you get to a point in your life where you get clarity around what excites you and what gets you up in mm. the morning. And I was at that point. Yeah. So then, I mean, yeah, I couldn't, I, I agree with you more. I find it for personally myself, uh, for the short career that I did have very difficult walking into an office every day from nine to five and, and working hard. And, and, and there's nothing wrong for those who do it, but it was something that did not fit my personality as well. But one of the things that I've seen, okay. Um, and time and time again, is that when you have, uh, individuals starting businesses, especially coming from a big bank, where everything's organized, they've got resources, they've, everything's got a manual behind it. Um, it's so well thought out. Starting a business becomes difficult because they think that their business needs to look like that the day they start. So when you were like transitioning, right, and trying to figure out how to start, what did you look at? And the reason, and I want to give my listeners context, and the reason I ask this is because I, I, I look at um, your brokerage, I look at the branding, I like there's a lot of thought put into it. And looking back for the amount of years you spent in it, yeah, you could have built that out. Um, and you knew that those things mattered because for a lot of brokerages, it they, the branding doesn't matter. The customer experience may not matter. Um, it doesn't matter if everybody's getting a consistent experience touching your brokerage. And I feel like you concentrate on all of that. And for that, you do need a little bit of OCD. <laughs> but if you have it too early, you can't start the business. So what yes. got you to kind of think about what do I need in the beginning and how, how does it look on day one? Yeah, so I started in the industry with no book of business or connections or anything. I basically joined a very reputable broker and um, she honestly mentored me and held my hand and that was invaluable and I'm very grateful for, for that uh, opportunity. And when you're starting a business, the first, in my view, the, the most important thing is what problem are you solving for the consumer, for the client? Are we solving a problem here, number one? And number two, how will you differentiate when it comes to solving that problem? And I feel that if you address a problem and solve it better than anyone else on the street, um, either through a solution or solution plus service, then you will gain traction. And that's exactly what happened. I stepped into the mortgage industry and I had uh, wealth management and investment background and I was a real estate investor. And I saw the need to come up with an approach to financing properties beyond the current transaction and to combine planning with mortgage um with a mortgage transaction and that's how the financing roadmap methodology was built over time so there was an opportunity to solve a problem solve it in a better way and to deliver better service and that was my focus and that drove revenue through the door so i had a basic website i didn't have anything fancy mm -hmm. i didn't have anything uh extensive other than 
work hard, deliver value, give before you get, and do it a lot better than anyone else. And that's basically what brought clients and then referrals. And then as I started to grow, I started to hire strategically and develop the brand. So, so, and if you look at like um, how Apple started their business or Microsoft, there's a lot of like a host of big companies that like they started from the garage. Did you start from your garage or was it like you had to rent an office? What was that? What were those beginning days looking like? Basically, I had to think about whether or not I need an office to operate. Mm. It's, it's a yeah. question that comes up for every entrepreneur. And I felt that I can do business remotely and I can still drive to the client site or meet at a rentable office and that would not detract from the value add I'm bringing to the conversation. And I was careful when I started about committing to fixed costs before I prove the revenue model, before I have revenue coming through the door. So before people started using Zoom, I know Zoom evolved uh, in terms of uh, uh, adoption during COVID. We were completely virtual back then. And, and I was against walking around with binders and, and, and documents <laughs> and, and creating folders and cabinets yeah. for folders. In a mortgage in, in the mortgage industry, it's it's very paper intense. So I was careful about fixed cost and I was all about efficiencies and therefore operated in a virtual way and tried to create efficiencies wherever I can on the as as we grew. So and then when you decided and the reason I was kind of going over that too is because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs feel like and I, I people not entrepreneurs, but people who want to start their business feel like they need to get everything from day one, where it's, I think it's a gradual kind of um, move up. And then the ones that do understand that, okay, it's about fixed costs, managing your revenue, understanding that um, where the value you bring for your clients is, and it's not in renting an office, it's in the actual service or good that you provide them. Um, one of the biggest step ups I find for entrepreneurs is hiring their first employee. So for you, was that something where psychologically you had to think about or was it kind of a, a knee jerk like, yeah, I got to get somebody in? Oh, I would like to say that it was I need to get someone in and, <laughs> and, it, was decision and it was smooth sailing. But uh, I was uh, very, very scared, yeah. very scared with my first hire because as an entrepreneur, you get used to doing everything yourself. And that's how you build up the business. Initially, I was writing the files, you know, cleaning the toilets, um, <laughs> the floor, <laughs> driving around, talking to people, doing the paperwork. And then when it's time to hire, you need to be at a point where you go, okay, I have enough business coming my way. There is so much time in the day. What, how can I continue to grow? And that's where a hiring decision comes in. But there is still that fear of, oh my God, I am now committing to a fixed cost and I don't want to let anybody go if things don't work out. You start to psyche yourself up yeah. about the worst case scenario. And then yeah. I, I have to give credit to my husband because he is the one who said, listen, do it. You're not paying someone's salary all upfront. You're paying gradually month per month. What is yeah. the worst situation? The absolute worst 
scarce situation, something doesn't work and you have to let someone go. That's the absolute worst case situation. But it's not going to happen. But that's the worst case. Are you going to die? No, you're not. Yeah. So let's just do it. And that actually helped me uh, lower my, my anxiety and make that first move. And when I hired, I started to leverage off other people's time. So you, instead of you as a business owner doing everything, you go, okay, what can I push out and how can I train and how can I systemize? And, and that's where you gain back some of your time to put it towards better value add activities for the business. Yeah, I know. And the thing you just said about like cleaning everything and doing the files, it reminds me of something Michael Bloomberg um, said when now he's worth billions. But he's like when he started his his company in the beginning, one of the first things that he remembers the most is getting into the office and actually brewing the coffee so that when his employees came in, they had coffee to drink just because Everybody had to be ready. And even though you are delegating um, and delegation is huge because before it's like you're micromanaging, not micromanaging, you're just so used to controlling everything. You got to let some of that go. Um, and now you just kind of have to also work for the people working for you because you need to make sure that they have all the resources they possibly can. Now, my then question to you is, is naturally and I, we also I, I've, I've spoken to i think it was a ceo of paramount restaurants and, and he had a, he had a wonderful quote he says you know um when I, you have the first restaurant you're making hummus and and it could be the best hummus but if you have a chain right the best hummus is not going to be 100 percent. as long as you're there 80 percent and you can replicate it across the chains that's what's good how did you, and if, I have a question to this, <laughs> how did you approach, right, um, when you're hiring people and people, for lack of better words, are not doing everything the way you would have, right? It's not 100%, but it's maybe 80% there. How do you build that relationship with the employees? How do you build that tolerance? What was your thought process as you took on the team members and as your team members grew and things were not 100% what you wanted it was uh, definitely a learning process i've hired and i've let people go and i've hired again and let people go because honestly it, it's not it's not a, a black or white answer so mm -hmm. what i learned through the process is um to hire for attitude and to hire for passion there are certain things that are behavioral that you cannot teach they mm -hmm. the, like the, the the person comes to the table with them you can teach the technical skills where at the beginning i was hiring for technical skills so i shifted i put more weight now on you know culture being able to work together attitude uh and then of course technical skill is important it's not zero but the 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 pendulum shifted from pure technical and the behavioral is lower to behavioral attitude and technical, and maybe yeah. there is a gap that it can still be picked. So that's a big learning for me. And as you hire people, part of making sure that they're successful is to one, set the, the, the results, like what are we looking to achieve here? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then figure out how you're gonna train them 
to help them deliver these results. And training is not about, hey, go jump into the pool and figure out how you swim, which I've actually done at the beginning. I'm like, <laughs> you have experience in the mortgage industry. Um, <laughs> hey, go, okay. And then come and tell me how to do that. didn't work out, as you can imagine. So it, then we started to say, okay, onboarding, how do we actually make sure that people who join the brokerage are successful. What do they need? Who do they need, do they need to shadow? What do they need to report by when to show that they're picking up the skills? So we evolved the training, we evolved the onboarding, we evolved the hiring, the type of individual we hire, and that improves significantly um, delegation and also results. Mm -hmm. So um, when you were, because I mean, you've hit, uh, it on the head and I couldn't agree with you more. And I feel like most entrepreneurs or business owners are like, you're looking for attitude over technical always when you're hiring. Um, not that technical again, like you said, doesn't matter, but you're always looking at hiring for attitude, which I feel like a lot of people don't understand. Like ad you can't change attitude Add somebody's showing up is half the jobs. If you're not showing up to work, then that's attitude. Right. And then at when you show up is when you get to learn. Um, but there is like an inner dialogue when you're experiencing all of this. Who do you bounce ideas off of? Is it your husband, like you said? Is it yourself? Like, how do you process all of this information and realize from we're going from technical to attitude where we're setting up these systems? Where do you kind of have that inner dialogue before you begin having conversations with anybody else within your organization? At the beginning, I was having that dialogue with myself. I was mm -hmm. in my head trying to figure it all myself and learn through the process. And then um, with time, I uh, hired a an operations, head of operations at the brokerage. And he became my go-to person to strategize and, and bounce ideas uh, off and help with the execution. But behind the scene, uh, there's been always also my husband and my husband is very strategic and he sometimes would say no you're not seeing the big picture here you should think about this mm. and i go i don't know anything about the mortgage business what do you mean you should think <laughs> but when i step he, he helped me step back in many cases and see things differently so he was also a big sounding board uh before i had uh, a head of operations so what would you, if you could go back, what would you do differently? What I would go different, what I would do differently, I think is, um, join a mastermind, find a mastermind in the industry that I can bounce ideas off and a group that has walked down the path that I'm looking to walk down. So someone more senior than me to say, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. What are your thoughts? What's your experience? I cannot, um, like I can tell you that I have benefited from mentorship throughout my journey. Mm. When I started the brokerage, I was part of a broker a brokerage that had a fantastic broker with fantastic experience and great reputation. And she helped me in many cases. And she was also a sounding board, aside from my husband and aside from the head of operation at a later point. And then at some point, I started working with business coaches who would also guide me through business stuff that yeah. I wasn't seeing and they're like older than me. So I think I would have done, I should have done that earlier. That would have helped me accelerate things even faster. 
Okay, so yeah, basically not afraid to ask for advice is kind of what you'd say overall is what kind of the driving force is. So uh, now I just want to move on to some leadership questions. I got some questions and I don't know how much time we've got, but I I got a lot to go through. (laughs) I want to see how much I get through. So um, in terms of your business, how do you plan for your business's future? Um, There are certain things like COVID nobody saw coming, um, but like even now market's uncertain, you don't know where it's going. Um, perhaps you do, perhaps the way uh, people are thinking is changing, um, the way your marketing is changing. How do you plan your, your the future and what's to come and how you're going to prepare for it? So I make an effort to listen to the clients. Although I am now at a founder level i am no longer underwriting deals yeah. i my uh, i keep my ears to the ground through my team knowing what's happening in the lender community i still talk to a lot of clients just to hear what their concerns are obviously i keep an eye on the market and then i all i'm always proactive about figuring what the market needs and if the market is changing how does that impact the community so i come forward with solutions and things that will help the client plan better and grow even if the environment is changing. And that's always worked for me. It's it always worked in terms of continuing to grow the brokerage because you're addressing the true client's need. I'm not coming up with something that I'm trying to yeah. sell. I'm actually taking their input and evolving how we do things based on what we're hearing on the street and where the market is, is heading. Yeah. And I think, I think that's just like good leadership. Uh, it's basically, you have to go from the abstract, which is the industry, right? Safe to say, and then look at the, the granular of what's happening on the ground and trying to bridge that gap, which not everyone can do. And I think even recently, um, Starbucks wasn't doing so well. So when I think Howard Schultz, the original CEO or founder came in, first thing he did is he starts going to the different Starbucks, sees what's going on here so that they can figure out what, what management should be doing. So in that sense, what do you think, uh, in terms of leadership, what do you think makes an effective leader? What makes you an effective leader? What would you say is something that if anybody's thinking of a a leadership role, they should be thinking of, um, really cultivating inside of them to become an effective leader that people will follow. And they're not there just because they happen to be there. I, I believe that leaders know how to connect with, with people. The best leaders know yeah. how to connect with people and how to convey the direction the company is heading. And that direction has to mean something to the people who are part of the company. So mm. why are they there every day? It's because they connect with that direction. It's They connect with it emotionally and it's also helping them grow as part of being part of that company. So that's something that I feel is a big priority for for effective uh, leaders. And then, of course, communication, communication and and clarity Mm -hmm. removes assumptions and gives direction. So that's also key. Okay, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change gears a little bit. I'm going to ask for questions around successful habits. This is going to get a little bit personal. <laughs> so what does a typical day look like for you? When, when do you wake up? When, like, what, what's kind of the journey in, in a typical day for you? 
Yeah, I've changed my routine several times because I was experimenting with different things to see how it actually impacts my mood and energy. Mm-hmm. And I'm now very comfortable with a routine that work, works beautiful for me. So I get up at 5.30 in the morning and I exercise uh, from 6 to about 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, shower, get the kids ready for school, and then I spend about an hour and a half to two hours just by myself. And in that two hours, I meditate, I uh, read things that enriches my brain, and I plan my day. That's the routine. And then I have also a bedtime routine, but it's not as long mm-hmm. as the morning routine. So when do you when do you first pick up your phone for for work emails? <laughs> yeah, I I leave the I start my day with the most important thing that I know will help me deliver on my big goals. That's how I start the day. So that mm-hmm. could be, could be tackling um, writing, for example, or it could be a strategic project. Emails I don't check them first thing in the day. I check emails typically you know, three o'clock, two o'clock, that's when I check emails. And then phone calls, I have a block for phone calls. I don't pick up the phone as it comes because I, the, the, what I discovered in terms of helping productivity is when you have a block of time and you're giving it all of your energy, you're actually mm-hmm. a lot more productive. But if you're trying to do this and pick up the phone and do this and do this and do this, and do, you're really diluting your energy and it doesn't yeah. get to anywhere. So I pick up calls at a certain time of the day. I read emails at a certain time of the day and it's not the first thing in the morning. Yeah, no, I mean, task switching, I, I get so exhausted if I ta- switch too many tasks too quickly. I need to take a nap. That's the only task I'll be switching to. Exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Exhausting. So what's, what's the last thing you do before you go to bed? So I stopped looking at devices altogether about two hours before bedtime. I don't look at my phone. I don't look at any any screens. And uh, I take a walk. I take a walk with my dog uh, in nature. And then um, I come back to take a shower and just go into bed. And it takes me like 10 minutes to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's, that's pretty good. 10 minutes is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like I feel like uh, the the things that ki- keep people up, especially if you're trying to run a business and, and and there's a lot of pressure. But if you're able to be disciplined and be able to empty yourself out, uh, it not only brings down the stress, but being able to sleep quickly, I think, is a sign that you're able to manage that stress pr- properly. Would would is that something you'd agree with, or is? Yes, back in the days, I used to carry deals in my head everywhere I go. Yeah. I would be thinking about the deals, the deals, the deals in my head. And I am with my kids and sometimes like I drift away and I'm thinking about the deals. I am in bed and I am lying there looking <laughs> about the deals. And it's exhausting because it, it does create an anxiety and you actually, it's, it's, it's not productive. So to your point, clearing your head is, is key. But how do you do that? I found that meditation and my like breathing exercises mm-hmm. actually help center me and and ground me and get me to be in that calm zone doesn't mean that you're not doing the deals it just means at this point in time yeah. it's time to sleep and rest yeah. and then when you are up on that when you're up for the race you are performing for the race where yeah. before 
I'm like everything was mismatched, yeah. <laughs> which created yeah. anxiety and stress, which I've experienced. It's not news. <laughs> So how do, how do you, and this is going to be my last question, how do you manage that work life? Is there something in your mind that you're like, all right, like, for example, um, I'm not going to be thinking about deals when I'm sleeping only at this time, or uh, like, how do you manage you? Uh, is there like any, I guess, any factors, anything in your mind that kind of goes off saying, hey, listen, I'm spending too much time at work, or I'm not spending enough time at work, and I need to reevaluate what I'm doing? Or is it you'd say more fluid? Because obviously, sometimes some months, it's really busy. Other months, it's not as busy as so you can prepare more long term. So how do you kind of balance your work life uh, or have that work life balance where you're like, all right, if I kind of tip on one side or the other, there's something that tells me I should kind of be looking at this and managing it better. So what works well for me is uh, planning my weeks in advance. So every Sunday I plan the week or two weeks in advance and I time block and I consciously mm -hmm. time block time for certain things at work and certain things for me and certain things for family or friends. So I time block and time blocking has been powerful because you look at your calendar and you're like, I'm doing this from this time to this time and you're consciously and intentionally yeah how you're spending your day and you're spending your week doesn't mean that sometimes you don't go out of these blocks and they stretch because things come but at least it gets you uh, to go intentionally about your time so you don't get into that zone of oh my god I overworked and I forgot to see the kids today or oh my god I spent too much time here mm -hmm. I notice it so yeah no awesome i mean i you know what to be honest i started time blocking my lunch because i could, wouldn't eat lunch so i was like and as soon as not. i did it <laughs> now you're eating right yeah, now I'm eating. <laughs> that, not that it looks like i don't eat you know it's not like i have missed it looks like i haven't missed a meal but still you, you need to you need to block more time more time for lunch <laughs> Well, you know, I th thank you for coming on the podcast again. I really appreciate everything. Uh, for those listeners, again, who haven't seen the last episode, I'd highly encourage you, especially if you're looking in into investing in real estate. We had a good conversation on portfolios, uh, management, building portfolio, building wealth. Thank you for, the, for, for coming on again, Dahlia. My pleasure. Thank you very much for being on your show.